The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This evening, Lord willing, I'd like to go to the Gospel of John. We spent some time in 1 John, considering a topical survey as an introduction to some major themes in the Gospel of John, but also maybe a little bit of introduction to the author. We talked a little bit about that, focusing on the Apostle John, and later in his life, he's known as, be, as being the Apostle of Love. He describes himself in his own Gospel that the Holy Spirit moved him to write. Um, he doesn't refer to himself by name. He do, refers to himself in the third person as the disciple who Jesus loved. So he's known later in his life as being the apostle of love. But you may remember younger in his life, him and his brother James were nicknamed by Jesus the Sons of Thunder. And they wanted, if anybody didn't follow them, they wanted the, Elijah, the power like Elijah had to call down fire from heaven and burn them up. And well, a little bit later in his life, he learned a little bit of humility, a little bit of love, a little bit of agape love. And, and that is certainly exhibited in his gospel. Um, so we've seen a little bit of the character study of the Apostle John and some of that transition in his life. Um, tonight will probably be just an overview and then Lord willing we'll dig into the verses the uh, an expository consideration of the Gospel of John Lord willing in the weeks to come so John's Gospel is unique from the other three Gospels the other three Gospels are commonly known as the synoptic Gospels that are more of a narrative form that are following the ministry of Jesus in chronological or narrative order. And John does that as well, but it highlights some specific situations and certain miracles and certain conversations and interactions that the other Gospels do not consider. And it was penned that way by John through the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. And the, the main theme of the Gospel of John is defending and extolling the deity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Okay? The other three Gospels have a little bit more of a different focus. Matthew is a very Jewish-oriented Gospel. It was written by a Jew. Matthew was a publican. And you probably remember how the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament starts. It describe, it begins, surprisingly to us probably, uh, the entire New Testament begins with a genealogy, right? The reason why it begins with a genealogy is because God wanted to connect the dots for the Jews that he was the son of Jesus of Nazareth on both sides of his his uh, biological mother of Mary and his um, assumed adopted dad of Joseph. From both sides, he came from the tribe of Judah, and he was the son of David and the son of Abraham. 
to, de to defend the genealogy of him being as the rightful Messiah. So Matthew is a very Jewish-oriented gospel. Mark is a little bit more of a Gentile-oriented gospel. It explains some Jewish customs that these Gentiles probably wouldn't have been aware of. And then Luke is a very long book, pretty exhaustive. And I guess you could say that's almost like the, the general gospel because he's writing it to Theophilus and he says, these are the things that are most surely believed among us. So this is a, a general understanding of the, of the life of Jesus Christ from the perspective of the early New Testament church, uh, highlighting some different events. So you have th those three gospels that are known as the synoptic gospels that follow Jesus in a very similar way, and most of them uh, contain similar stories from a different perspective. And that's one of the value of having all four Gospels, is you have the same life of Jesus, but you have four different vantage points of the human writers being moved by the Holy Ghost. So in the Gospel of John, um, is written very uniquely, and we've already highlighted this a few different times. We'll make our way kind of through the book, and we want to highlight that when we get to the end of it, that... Um, John chapter 20 and verse 31 is the theme of the book. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So it was written for a specific purpose, okay, to defend the deity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God so that you would believe on him. And by believing on him, you would lay hold on the abundant life, not just um, professing a cognitive belief, but you're laying hold on the spiritual abundant life that Jesus expounds on actually in John chapter 10. <clears throat> um, another kind of unique aspect of the Gospel of John is it's, it's highlighted and focused. You have the prologue. That's the first 18 verses of the first chapter. And then you have this middle section of the book from the second half of chapter 1 through roughly the end of chapter 11 that contains and focuses on seven unique miracles, seven miracles, and seven I am statements, okay? I'm going to try to just kind of give a very brief overview of the overall book, highlight some events that are not noted in other Gospels, and try to highlight these for you as we go through there. Of those seven miracles, five of those seven are not noted in any other Gospel. And quite a few of these stories are not noted in any other Gospel because the Lord... Um, inspired it in such a way for a specific purpose uh, to, to defend the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, hopefully I don't forget when we get down to the end, but it's interesting how this book concludes. You know, th these are events. I think Nicodemus is a good example. Um, the woman at the well from John chapter 4, the woman that was caught in adultery from John chapter 8. These are events that are not in any of the other uh, Gospels, but the Holy Spirit zones in on it in the Gospel of John. And I like how the Gospel of John concludes. I want to go ahead and actually just turn over there and read that so I get the wording correct. 
John chapter 21 and verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. You know, and I've sometimes just thought, well, John is just speaking in hyperbole right there. But if you think about it, quite a few of these instances, I think about um, Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, okay? And while he's doing that, the one with the issue of blood comes and touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And he's on his way to do a miracle. And while he's on his way to do a miracle, this lady has a probably 15-second interaction with Jesus, but it takes up half a chapter, okay? And just think about how many 30-second interactions Jesus had with people where he just was healing people left and right. right. And it's interesting how in the Gospel of John we have these stories that the other Gospels don't highlight. And then John's Gospel concludes by saying, if I took time to tell you about everything, <laughs> the world could not contain the scroll. And that's amazing that that's just in his three-and-a-half-year ministry. I mean, then, then you want to expound that even further. Think about, uh, it says in Romans chapter 11, that God's uh, ways and his judgments are unsearchable and past finding out. If just the events that Jesus did physically uh, on this earth as the Son of God is that voluminous, Wow, how much, if, if pen was put to paper, which is not even possible, uh, that, that you could accurately articulate everything that God has done and is doing in our lives and in the, the history of the world. It's just amazing to meditate on that, okay? So in John chapter 1, we have this introduction to this unique gospel that is combating the Gnostic heresy, Okay. The uh, quite a few in the the epistles that are written in the latter half and the second half of the first century. That was one of the most prevalent um, false teachings that came into the church. And the Gnostics, there's a Greek word that's gnosis that speaks of secret knowledge, and they said that anything that was physical was sinful. Matter was sinful. And they emphasize secret knowledge. So therefore, <clears throat> anyone that uh, had any, inter <clears throat> any interaction with the physical creation that was created by matter was inherently evil. So why does John's gospel begin in the way that it does? He lays the foundation that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, this Word he's talking about was God, is God. Okay, we'll go ahead and skip to verse 14, which is, again, one of the main points of the entire gospel. This word is God, and verse 14 says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God was made flesh and dwelt here on this earth. And just as members of the church that have grown up hearing this possibly our entire lives, it's amazing how much we take for granted 
the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation. Right. I mean, it's just amazing. How could the God that the heavens of heavens can't contain him, how could he physically become a man? Other than the fact that he just chose to do it, right? He chose to be made a little lower than the angels. For what purpose? For the suffering of death, to save his people from their sins. But the word was made flesh. And that's what he wants them to understand, is that this man that walked around was, as it says in Colossians, and Colossians was written with that same tone of trying to combat the Gnostic heresy as well, that in him dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay? In the body and the person of Jesus Christ, he was not a created deity. He was not a lesser deity. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the same word that spoke, you, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, it, it, it emphasizes the words of God. God said, let there be light. God called, God said. It's speaking of, of the word of God. So who was the word of God there that, that created all things? It was Jesus Christ that amazingly was born in a lowly manger. Right? Yeah. That same God, that same word that was in the beginning with God and was God, became flesh. And it highlights much of his, uh, much of his ministry in a very unique way. Okay? John chapter 1, the prologue, the introduction of the word, the word was made flesh, then... John the Baptist and his baptisms, the calling of the first disciples. We get to John chapter 2, and we have the first miracle that Jesus performed in his ministry. And this is only in the Gospel of John, where he turned the water to wine. Okay? You know, that's another very pointed, um, clear example to anyone that would deny that uh, or that would say that all material things are evil but what did god became a man okay but then what did he do he took water right the the chemical composition of h2o he took that and he made it into Wine. You know, he, he is not, it, it's, it's one thing for him to become a man, right? But he's not removing himself from the, the uh, matter of his creation, right? No, he's taking water and he's making it into wine. So if you were saying that all these things are evil, well, that doesn't hold up to the fact that God was made flesh and he is turning one good piece of, of creation here in water to turn it into another creation that is a, a very joyful, uh, especially in the context of a marriage, describing joy and celebration and, and feasting. So that's, what, that's really what I want to, uh, you to think about as we kind of highlight these miracles, specifically the miracles that are not in the other Gospels. That why did, and this, like I said before, uh, if we knew everything that Jesus did, we couldn't contain it, 
So why did God tell us about these things? Now, obviously, this is the, his first miracle was very important, right? And, and the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to tell us this was his first miracle. And there's tremendous significance to that. But why does the Holy Spirit tell us in this gospel about these events? That's something I want you to kind of keep in mind. Why, why are these events focused on in this gospel? It's because it was written for a specific purpose. Then he makes his way into um, Jerusalem the first time in the latter half of John chapter 2. You know, he actually cleansed the temple twice. I don't know if you knew that. And now the more prevalent one was when he goes in um, after his triumphal entry on the last week of his life, he goes in and he purges the temple. But he actually did it the first time that he went to Jerusalem too. All right? Now, in John chapter 3, we have an interaction with Nicodemus that's not recorded anywhere else either. Right? And I believe we're all pretty familiar with the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And he's saying about the necessity of the new birth, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I do want to highlight that it says, um, except a man be born again. This is chapter 3 and in verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But it's interesting that some of the language he uses there could alternately be said, except a man be born from above. Okay, remember, this is speaking of Jesus' deity. And he's saying, except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what did Jesus uh, begin his ministry preaching? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? It's right here and it's right now. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We have Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Now, that's a very interest, interesting interaction too, isn't it? That she's a Samaritan woman. And how is it, again, think about Jesus as being the Son of God. And he told her things that there was no way that anybody else knew. And what I skipped over at the end of John chapter 1, by the way, is Nathaniel. When Nathaniel was called to be an apostle... And Jesus told him about something that happened, whatever it was that happened under the fig tree, that he was the only one that knew about. And when, uh, when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, immediately Nathaniel answered. And this is amazing, by the way. You know, he showed up. He was a little hesitant. Was, was he the one? Yeah, he was the one that said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out? So he, he showed up skeptical, okay? Again, I want you to understand this book is written for the purpose of solidifying the deity of Jesus Christ. He showed up skeptical, and Jesus tells him, before Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. And immediately, Nathaniel, what does he confess? I mean, we really brag on, on uh, Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, for confessing that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And that's great. He, you know, he, he should have done that. But Nathaniel says this immediately. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God and thou art the King of Israel. 
So this, this had such an impact on him that he said the only one that could have known what happened under the fig tree had to be God. This man has to be God. <laughs> you see that? So going back to John chapter 4, yes, we have good interactions and good lessons about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Great lessons from John chapter 4. But what does the, the lady go and tell the people in her city what happened? Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. The only person that could do that is God. Right. You see? The only person that could do that is God. And they were so intrigued. Of course, she was a woman of very poor reputation. And number one, the messenger. But number two, the message. They were so intrigued, they, they went out to see him. <laughs> and many of them believed. <clears throat> the latter half of John chapter 4, the healing of the nobleman's son. Okay? So, in this instance, there are different uh, situations where Jesus went and he touched people, he healed people, he, ha he healed people uh, in a lot of different ways. But again, defending the deity of Jesus. In this instance, he asked him to come down to his house and he says, Instead of going with him, he says, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that was spoken to him. He gets home, and his son is well. When did this happen? It happened at this exact time, which was the exact time that Jesus said these words. So who has the ability, number one, to heal? But who has the ability, number two, to heal just with his voice? Right? Right? I mean, he's not giving him a medicine that you'll be, you'll be better in about six to eight hours. Who has the ability to heal a person at the point of death by nothing more than, and when I say his voice, by the way, you know, it's not like if we get, a, get a, along to Lazarus a little bit later in John chapter 11. It's not that he's in his immediate presence and he's speaking to him. No, he's miles and miles away. How could, how could someone heal someone by his commandment and then them be healed 20 miles away? How's that possible? This man has to be God. Amen. You see? <clears throat> okay. John chapter 5. We have the uh, lame man who's at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus heals him okay he heals him and says rise up and walk and what's <laughs> what's so interesting about especially John especially the gospel of John but it sprinkled throughout the other gospels too is some of the best doctrinal lessons that we have in all of scripture is for is because of men trying uh, wicked whited sepulchre pharisees and scribes trying to publicly rebuke jesus for healing people and healing people on the sabbath isn't that something <laughs> talk about coming to his own and his own receiving him not that these are which by the way that's evidence of he, he calls them a little bit later whited sepulchers they should have seen that and said wow 
thou, you know, uh, actually that, that was what Nicodemus showed up saying, right? Even before he talked with him. We know that no man can do the things that you do unless he's come from God. There's something different about you. But what did the Pharisees do? They outright rejected it. You see, Jesus was the plumb line. And when you have all of these miracles being done in front of you and you openly you're not just apathetic. You openly reject Jesus and you try to get other people to reject Jesus, then that is just evidencing the state that they were already in. But some of the, uh, some of the most precise doctrinal statements that we have in all the Word of God in the Gospel of John is Jesus speaking and publicly rebuking people who were mad because he was healing, affirming his deity. Okay? <clears throat> So he heals this impotent man, okay? Then we get to, and then John chapter 5, throughout the rest of it, so many beautiful doctrinal lessons and points in there. But all of that comes from them being mad because he healed the lame man by the pool, okay? Again, affirming his deity. Um, we have two miracles in the sixth chapter that are recorded in other places, the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water. Those are the two that are recorded in other Gospels. The other five of the seven miracles that are kind of highlighted are unique to the Gospel of John. Then you have the uh, seven, depending on how you slice it, uh, seven I am statements that are highlighted in the Gospel of John. First of those being in John chapter 6 and in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, before we go to the rest of those I am statements, let's move ahead just a little bit and go to John chapter 8. And again, this is an example of the Jews trying to rebuke him because of the miracles that he's doing. And uh, what is the significance of these I am statements? Okay, that's what I want you to understand. What's the significance of the I am statements? It's because that is the, the title, the name that God took for himself in the Old Testament, right? I am that I am. So Jesus is kind of, you know, he, he's making references here and there. I and my father are one. And he's making these kind of references here and there. And then finally, he is not just inferring. Finally, he makes a direct statement that um, he says, John chapter 8, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What are you talking about? Thou art not 50 years old. Thou hast not seen Abraham. Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what was their response to that? Did they fall down at the feet of him like Nathaniel did and say, Thou art the Son of God? This is evidence of them being, as we're told in the, in the book of Acts, this is evidence of them being cut to the heart instead of pricked in the heart. What was their response to God manifesting the flesh, standing in front of them and saying, I am. I am the I am that I am. What was their response to that? They took up stones to kill him. I mean, it just tells you how Foolish. I mean, this is this is the sovereign God of this universe. And you think you're going to kill him by picking up rocks? <laughs> I mean, 
you really don't get it, Pharisees, right? He, said, he says, I am. I am, I am the sovereign God of this universe that is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. And your response is try to pick up rocks and try to kill him. <laughs> that is just evidence, again, of them being cut to the heart. And the gospel is foolishness to those that are in a state of perishing that have not been born again. Okay? But what is the significance of all these I am statements? Is because that's God's name for himself. And now he's expounding on I am. Not just I am in this, you know, general sense. But I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. All of those. Now he's giving more specifics. You know, there was a lot that was, there was a lot that was veiled in the Old Testament, right? There's a lot that God hid from public view for a period of time. But when Jesus came, the, all of that was revealed and manifested. You see that? So in the Old Testament, he described himself as just I am. I am that I am. But when Jesus showed up, and he revealed the character of God to everyone. Now, he's not just, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am all of these I am statements. That gives more clarity, right. you see? He was just, I am that I am in the Old Testament. But now, Jesus manifested and he's, just, he's displaying the Godhead more clearly and more publicly during his incarnation, Okay. Um, John chapter 6, he walks on the water. Great doctrinal statements. John chapter 7. Skip to John chapter 8. The woman that's caught in adultery. Who has the power? He says, um, this is another thing that got the Jews and the Pharisees all riled up. Who has the authority to forgive sins here on earth? God does. Amen. Why? Because he's God. <laughs> That, that is an evidence that he's God. So how did he have the authority to tell her, sister, your sins are forgiven? Because I am God, okay? Um, John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And now he's called his church to be the light of the world. John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. He heals the, the man in the temple, and he doesn't know who Jesus is. And then they try to call his parents in question. They're afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue. So they just said, you got to talk to him. And the progression of understanding and the progression of growth and belief that this man who already had been healed had is such a beautiful picture of, and you know what? He had a, sometimes people say, well, I don't have anything to tell people, to evangelize people. Uh, I, I don't know the Bible as well as I should have. No one was making a greater impact in Jerusalem than this blind man walking around the temple. And that for a long time, the only thing that he had to say 
was, I don't, I don't have a clue who he is. I only know I once was blind and now I see. But guess what? I love how, let's see if I can find this real quick. Um, <laughs> okay, remember, the purpose of John, the Gospel of John, is to affirm Jesus as the Son of God. He's been, he's been telling everyone publicly about the miraculous, powerful work that Jesus had done in his life. But then Jesus asked him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Now, we know that when he confesses him, we know that everything he's doing right here is an evidence that he's already born again, right? Sure. Right? But he does not have anywhere near the knowledge that he needs. Right. But it's amazing how he is an amazing testimony to God, even though he doesn't even know who the Son of God is yet. <laughs> and who is he? He's, he's, uh, he's the person who's standing right in front of you and then immediately says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Okay? God used him. And again, so many of these instances... But Mike Rogers brought a great message at Macedonia a few months ago um, from, John, from uh, Acts chapter 3 about the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3 that had been by the temple, okay? And I think he made a great point about the Lord knew all along what was going to happen. But he lived his whole life as a lame man and begging. And, and Brother Mike made an amazing point that Jesus, no doubt, would have walked by that man many times in going to the temple. Right. Kind of in the same way, it says this, this blind man that... This happened, says this of uh, Lazarus as well. Why did, why did Lazarus die? You know, this, this is a person that's blind. There's people that are lame. Um, why did God suffer this to happen? Why, why did uh, this bad thing happen in my life? Well, it says of Lazarus, this is going to happen for the glory of God. There's a lot that we don't understand about why things happen the way that they do and the timing of the way things happen. But I love how the Lord used and suffered some of these things to even for a long period of time, like 20, 30 years of people suffering. But what an amazing testimony for their healing to declare the deity of Jesus as the Son of God. Yes. I mean... I don't know if you could say that it was worth it of that suffering, but what an amazing realization for the Lord to have chosen me to be one of the amazing public declarations of his deity, right? I mean, it's one thing to turn water into wine, but those, that's just inanimate liquid. He used me to be one of the public manifestations of his deity. Wow, right? Uh, I don't know if they were always able to say thank you for this sickness, but I guarantee you they were sure were happy after it. <laughs> okay? And that, that gives us such a different perspective, doesn't it? When you think about things like that.
And I, I readily admit that something this powerful may not happen during our type of sickness or something like that. But the Lord's able to do things that we don't even realize, okay? Uh, bad things happen, but God used and suffered these bad things to happen for them to be. In it. The point I was trying to make about the, the blind man and the lame man is God, God suffered it to happen in such a way that everybody knew that man so well that there was no denying what happened. Right. That, that, that was the point I was trying to make, is he suffered it to happen for such a long period of time. Other people knew this blind man. Other, other people, everyone in Jerusalem knew that lame man that had been sitting by the temple for 20 years. Probably longer than that. He'd been lame his whole life. God put them in a position where everybody knew them to where when they were healed, even the Pharisees, after the disciples healed that man, they said, I don't know what we're going to do because we can't. We've seen him. <laughs> I mean, we can't deny it. What are we going to do? And then uh, I love the advice of Gamaliel. He's like, well, you're just going to have to let it play out because uh, if it's of God, you can't fight against God anyway. And if it's not of God, it's all going to fizzle out. <laughs> but God put them in a position for them to, for their, their sickness to be so publicly known that there was no other answer than that God must have done this. You know, the same way with the, with the woman uh, um, with the issue of blood. She'd been to all the doctors. She'd, she'd spent all of her money. She got to the, to the end of all natural healing for what purpose? To affirm that this man who healed me is God. Okay? <clears throat> John chapter 10, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall enter in and find pasture. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. <clears throat> John chapter 11, well, this is right before, this, this is the, the last, uh, right before he enters into Jerusalem in the 12th chapter, the last of the miracles and he proved that he has the power to raise someone from the dead. Now he'd done that at other instances but remember, he suffered Lazarus to not just die, but be dead for four days. For what purpose? That there is no one that could deny it. That's why, that's why the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus. <laughs> you know, again, just tells you how foolish they are. Amen. Right? They get mad at Jesus. they mad that he says he's God. Well, we'll just pick up stones and try to kill him. Well, maybe we should... We're, we're, uh, Lazarus is having such a stir in the community, we should kill Lazarus. Jesus just resurrect him. He could just right. resurrect him again. I mean, if, he, if you killed him two, three, four times, Jesus would just keep resurrecting him, right? You're just digging your hole bigger. You can't, you can't pay, off, pay off enough soldiers to explain why Lazarus has been resurrected seven times after you keep killing him, you know? Uh, again, just tells you how foolish the unregenerate heart is, right? So the, the powerful resurrection of, of uh, Lazarus, and he says in the middle of that, John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And then obviously the most public, powerful display of a miracle was not just him raising Lazarus from the dead, 
then him raising himself right. from the dead, yeah. right? And I think he said, um, I think that's in Matthew's gospel where he said, uh, even when adulterous generation seek after a sign, well, if somebody is raised from the dead and they still reject me, there's no other sign that's going to be good enough. <laughs> right? And that's what happened. That's what happened. Just in case all of these other miracles made you still have a little bit of doubt that I did externally. Healing of blind people, lame people, lepers, all these things, turning the water into wine, all, all these miracles, just in case you doubted all of these miracles, if you don't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then there's no other sign for you. Okay, I'm going to highlight a few more of the I am statements and then conclude. And then conclude. <clears throat> John chapter 14 and in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John chapter 15 and in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And then in verse 5, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. <clears throat> it says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16, And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. You know, it's a mystery that God was made manifest in the flesh, but at the same time, it is without controversy. It, he's so publicly manifested his deity that you would just have to, even if you ignored everything he did during his ministry, he was resurrected from the dead. You see? No one could do that. Unless they were God. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, that was necessary for our redemption. It was necessary for the price to be paid by an appropriate substitute that had to be made like unto his brethren. But... Jesus could have just came down to this world, in theory, could have just came down to this world and died for our sins, and we would still have the end result of us being in heaven. But he chose instead to humble himself and to be born of a virgin, to obey his parents, to live a very quiet life and then at age 30 from age 30 to 33 and a half during his public ministry he did all of these things and why did he why did he do it in the way that he did it one of the reasons why that the holy spirit zooms in on in the gospel of john is so that truly without controversy if you look at the life of jesus christ you cannot reach any other conclusion 
in what Nicodemus said. We know that no man can do the things that you do unless he comes from God. Now, that's kind of what Nicodemus thought early on. By the end of it, by the end of it, now this was before his resurrection. This was, this was when Jesus had only died and he went with Joseph of Arimathea to prepare his body. It went from, we know that the only man that can do this is he come from God. I think by the end, end of it, Nicodemus knew this man was God, okay? And that's the first entrance point into the church and into the kingdom of heaven, right? What, how, do you, how do you join the church? It's not that complicated. You confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes. Now, I understand in today's context there's a little bit more implications of that. The devils believe there's one God. It's amazing that the devils in the Gospels had much better theology than the scribes and Pharisees, right? I mean, they're all like, Jesus, thou, you know. Thou art the Son of God. Uh, don't, don't cast us out before our day of judgment, you know. Uh, you got the devils confessing Jesus and the Pharisees rejecting him, you know. How about that, right? But that is the first step into the kingdom of God. Why? Because that is an evidence. That's what he told Peter in Matthew chapter 6. That's an evidence that you didn't come... <laughs> I'm saying that it's so evident, okay? I'm saying that it's so evident because it is, but at the same time, it's also true that you can't understand that, I guess, unless God's revealed it to you. That's right. And that's something that it's like so obvious. Think about Paul before and after regeneration. He rejected Jesus, even though it was so obvious, should have been obvious from just facts, but the problem was he didn't have anything revealed in his heart yet. But after he was born again and he confessed Jesus, I bet he said, how in the world did I ever deny that? How in the world did I ever deny his deity? It was so obvious. Again, that just shows that God has to reveal that to you in the new birth. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you need to confess him. Confess him publicly. Because that is the first step into the amazing blessings of the joys of the kingdom of God to laying hold on eternal life, laying hold on the abundant life. But more than anything, the church and the kingdom is about fellowship with the Son of God. It's about our personal interactions, our personal fellowship. And that's just an amazing thing to think about, that we can have personal fellowship with the sovereign God of this universe. The same way that John laid his head upon the bosom of Jesus Christ in a physical sense, we have that same type of spiritual connection with Christ through the Holy Spirit, you see? But you don't partake of that out in the pig pen, down in the slop of the world, right? You do that by confessing Christ and pressing into the kingdom. And if you love God, if you love Jesus Christ, publicly confess Him as the Son of God, and if you have a desire to do that, we will certainly wait upon you. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website 
at macedonia-pbc.org.